We are working our way through the book of Romans right now, and we find ourselves in Romans chapter 10, and we begin in verse 14, but as, as Sheila just read, we're, we have to back up just a little bit, right? Because if we start in verse 14, it would say, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And we will have missed what is essentially the gospel itself and jump right into the proclamation of it. And so we need to, to stop and, and back up just a little bit into uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, where it says, What does it say? That the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, I have talked about this in terms of a jewelry shop, right? Where you have the wrath of God as sort of this darkness, this, this blackness that is there in contrast to the glory of the gospel. And then we had uh, the, the light that was shining, that is the law that points forward to the good news of who Jesus is, that shines and shows us just how beautiful this diamond is. And then we find this diamond right here in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I don't think I can read those two verses enough times. I think that I could read them over and over and over again until you were going, yes, we get it. Yes, we hear you. We hear you. We can repeat verbatim what you are saying. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is so essential to who we are as Christians. We have to be able to recite this. It has to be worked deep into our hearts that, that within our hearts we believe. We believe. And with our mouths, we confess that Jesus is Lord. The, the challenge for us, or for all people rather, being that we are sinners who fall short of the glory of God. All of Romans has been building to this, where we, and we have seen that this is true. That we all fall short of the glory of God. We are sinners who do what we should not do. We do not acknowledge God for who He is, though He has revealed Himself throughout all of creation and has pro had His Word proclaimed through the prophets and through the Scriptures. Even so, we stop our ears and we say, uh, I'm good on my own. And having seen that, God the Father sends God the Son, Jesus... To come and to reveal the kingdom of God is at hand. Call sinners to repentance. And then die on a cross in our place. And more than that, having died on the cross and being buried, rises again from the dead to conquer sin and death and proclaim freedom and new life in Christ for all who would believe that His death was in their place. 
That's the essence of this gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, God himself in flesh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is salvation right there, that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And now, having established, this is that gospel, this is that good news, and apart from this, you cannot be saved. Unless you are hanging on to that. This is the precious, glorious diamond of the gospel that is being revealed. That Paul says this is so clear. It has been pointed to from all of the scriptures have been pointing to this point in history. That Jesus has fulfilled this. And we must hold on to this. For the scripture says, verse 11, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. There's no distinction. Everybody comes the same way. It's not that some whose heritage happens to align with God's uh, revealed will on Mount Sinai must obey the law and they get to God by obeying the law and everybody else has to be, uh, you know, accepted by grace from the outside. No, everybody. The law points to this, that no one can achieve righteousness by performing, by works according to the law. Everyone, whether they have received the law from the time that they were little or never heard of it, still gets in the same way. Everybody gets in the same way. They must believe in the grace of God offered to us through Christ Jesus. For everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. Will you save me? You will be saved. That's the good news. Now, Paul says, okay, having established that, how will they believe if they've never heard? Romans 10, verse 14. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How would they do that if nobody tells them? Somebody's got to tell them, right? Otherwise, they end up going, wait, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Have you ever found yourself in that kind of a situation where you're going, wait, I didn't know that. Why didn't anybody tell me? As, as a parent, I have been in this situation many, many times where I feel like, what? You mean other people knew about this? Why don't they tell you these things? Uh, an example is fifths. Fifths. I think it goes measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox, and then fifths. Nobody talks about fifths. Every single kid gets this. And so there you are as this, this parent and your child has this relatively high fever, like a hundred degrees. And you're going, ah, man, should we, should we take him in? Should we not take him in? And you just, you just worry. And that this fever just, this, it lasts. And by day two, day three, you're going, I'm really nervous about this. I, I really think we might, we maybe should take them in. 
No, no, it's okay. We're still okay. We'll, We'll just, we'll wait. And day four, rash all over the body. And you freak out as a parent. Because you've had three days of, of fever and now rash all over the body. And you go, ah, we got to take them in. And you rush them into the doctor and the doctor goes, oh yeah, it's fifths. Fever for three days, rash for two days, and then it's over. Every kid gets that. What? What do you mean every kid gets that? Why don't they tell you these things? Why don't they tell you things like, if you boil water, it gets the berry juice out of the clothes. Really? Yeah. It's amazing. Otherwise, you put the clothes in the wash, they come out of the dryer, stained forever. Blood, don't use boiling water, use hydrogen peroxide. There are many things like this. That you could just, you should write a book. Maybe someone has. But I find that over and over again, I just find myself going, really? That's a thing? How come nobody told me that? And what, what Paul is saying here is, how are they to believe if they've never heard? How are they to believe if nobody comes and tells them, did you know that the only way for you to be saved is to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for your sin and rose again from the dead? They're they're probably not going to guess that. How shall I be saved? Well, if I think about it for a little while, probably I would guess that that they need to be told. Now, now don't don't suddenly get back all the way to to Romans chapter 1 where you start asking questions like, Hang on, if they can't believe without being told, then how can we hold them guilty? We dealt with that in Romans chapter 1. God has been proclaiming through creation who He is for all of time. They have enough information to know that God is great and powerful and holy. They can be held accountable for that. What they don't have is enough understanding to be saved yet until somebody comes and tells them, did you know the only way you can be saved? You know how there's this great big God of the universe who's holy? Yeah, it seems like that should be the case because of look at all around me. Yes, in fact, that is the case. Your conscience is bearing you witness that you are a sinner and I want to tell you the only way you can be saved is if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They need that. They need somebody to proclaim it. And so he says, how are they to believe in him if they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, time out. Because I know there are several of you that are going, yeah, preach it. This is preaching. This is what we need. We need people to be preachers. That's not what this is saying here. Okay? There's a a semantic range, a, a, a variety of things that preaching, the word preaching can mean. And sometimes it means somebody stands up like I'm doing now and proclaiming the truth of God to you. And this we call preaching. And most of the time, when you think preaching, you think what I'm doing right now. And you think this isn't what I do. Right? Or it's not what you do, rather. Preaching in this context simply means to proclaim. I'm just making it known. It can be proclaimed one-on-one. 
It can be proclaimed one on three. It can be proclaimed three on one. Any number of people to any other number of people, that can be preaching as is used in this context. It is just telling someone else what is the good news. That is, what? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's the good news. And people need to be telling others that good news or otherwise they can't receive it. Right? They find themselves going, I didn't know. And so we have to tell them, you know, there's this thing called fifths. You know, this, this is how you get berries out of clothes. This is how you get blood out of clothes. Did you know you can save 15% or more on your... Well, everybody knows that. <laughs> everybody knows that. Did you know that Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved? We have to be proclaiming in this way. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And so Paul's going, go, go. Make it known. Talk about it. Tell people about it. Answer their questions. Bring it up. Ask them questions. Make them think. Because this is important stuff and they have to know. They have to know. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who come and tell you about the grace of God. Who come and proclaim to you how wonderful He is and that the Savior, Jesus, can reconcile you with God. That's great news. People want that kind of news. They want to know how to be reconciled to God. In fact, there are many of you who, if you think back about the first time that you heard the good news, and really understood it as good news. There are many of you that can point back to the person and go, I am so thankful for that person. I am so appreciative that they took the time to answer all of my questions. I am so grateful that they loved me, that they put up with all of my resistance to talk with me and help me to understand the good news. I'm so grateful that they didn't give up on me, but continued to pray and pray and tell me and invite me in and to warn me. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for that person. And when you are the one who's on the other side, it is someone who thinks that you are beautiful and you are wonderful because you are the one who is bearing with them patiently 
Not grabbing them by the throat going, you must believe. That, that doesn't work. But walking alongside them going, no, really and truly, this is the only way to be saved. This is the only hope that we have. This is the only glory that is to come. And walking alongside with patience and endurance and graciously over and over inviting them, inviting them, inviting them. Please come. Please come and believe. This is the only way that you can be saved. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This comes from Isaiah. He's quoting now from Isaiah chapter 52. Where in Isaiah chapter 52, uh, the Lord is speaking to His people. And He's talking with them about the, the punishment that they have received. That, that they have been um, rejected by Him. And he's, he's telling them, for thus says the Lord God. This is uh, Isaiah, 52 chap- uh, Isaiah chapter 52 verse 4. Thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually, all the day, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who proclaims good news of happiness and publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? How beautiful are the feet of those who are coming and bringing this kind of news so that all the nations, all the people might know how glorious and awesome and mighty the Lord is. I love this picture. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He's going, I know, I know that you have been in distress, that the Assyrians have come in, but I want you to know the time is coming when my salvation will come in and I will restore my people and I will display how great and mighty I am. And all the world will see how awesome of a God I am. Up till this point, my name has been despised, but now, now I will reveal how awesome I am. And everyone will know. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. They need the message. They need it to be proclaimed. The Lord reigns. 
The Lord brings salvation. The Lord is God and Jesus is the Savior. They need that message to come. Will they all believe it? Some of you are going, I have tried that. I've tried proclaiming the message before. I've tried talking with people before. And it seems like every time I bring up God, every time I talk about Jesus, people put up this wall and they reject me. And I am scared to death to try that again. Because you say it's easy for you to stand up in front of a congregation of people, most of whom already believe... And it's easy for you to stand up there and go, this is great and beautiful news. And everybody goes, oh, yes, that's wonderful. But as soon as I step out and I start talking to my family and they don't believe, they don't think I'm so beautiful when I'm talking about this. My neighbors don't think I'm so beautiful when I'm talking about who Jesus is. My coworkers don't appreciate me when I talk about who Jesus is. I don't feel like a beautiful messenger at that point. And that's what Paul admits in the very next verse. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Listen to that. I'm going to back up into verse 15 and then we'll look at this again. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. They have not all obeyed obeyed the gospel. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Obeyed the gospel? It seems like you, they, they should, it should say um, they have not all accepted it or believed it or something. But the reality is that the gospel is not simply this idea that you could take it or leave it. It's a command. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then you will be saved. You have to obey that. Yes, it's an invitation, but it's also a command. This is what must happen. And if it doesn't happen, there are dire consequences. And it says in verse 16, but not all have obeyed the gospel because Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Who has believed? It seems as though no one believes. As we continue on in Isaiah 52, right? Because now this is what Paul has done. He's taken a quote about the beautiful feet of the messenger from Isaiah 52 and used that so that we can see how great and awesome God is and that this mighty salvation comes from him. And then, then he takes this quote from the beginning of Isaiah 53, which if you read, Isaiah 53 comes right after 52. So you're following, reading through Isaiah 52, it leads you right into Isaiah 53, where he says, this is the message of the beautiful messengers, and but who has believed? So let me back up into 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human 
beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Some of you are beginning to go, wait a second, I know this passage. You said Isaiah 53 and I, did, I went, okay, Isaiah, that's a big book. But then you started reading what 53 is and I, I recognize this passage. We read this passage at, at Christmas time. This is the passage that prophesies about Jesus coming. This is the one who was rejected, despised, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, a man who himself was the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the message, the word of God, himself despised and rejected. How much more likely those of us who proclaim about him to be despised and rejected? Who has believed? Who will believe? You mean you're going to send us out to proclaim this good news to a whole bunch of people who are going to despise and reject us for it? Just a moment ago, you said my feet would be beautiful if I proclaimed it. And both are true. When we go out and we proclaim this good news that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead so they can be saved, some people will hear that and receive it with joy and will think that your feet are amazingly beautiful because you have come to them to speak this good news. And there will be others who reject it and despise it. Just as they did with Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus was despised and rejected and in being despised and rejected, died on the cross to bear our sins on Himself so that we might receive His righteousness. It's glorious news. And at the same time, painful. Painful because we see what happened to Jesus and we know that those who bear the message of Jesus are going to get similar treatment. And some of us want to be comfortable and go, you know, I just, I'm not into the whole rejection thing. I really prefer it when people like me. And so I'm going to proclaim it just to the people that I think will only like it. But we are called. We are sent so that they might hear, so that they might believe. So, verse 17 of Romans chapter 10, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It comes by hearing the message and that message is the word about who Jesus is. Whether that message is coming from Isaiah or Psalms or Deuteronomy, all of which point forward to Jesus, That's what we're trying to do every week here is open up the Scriptures and see from all over the Scriptures how they are speaking and pointing to our need for who Jesus is. Whether it's in the law of the Old Testament or the covenants or the proclamations of the prophets like Isaiah or in the good news of the Gospels or in the letters to the churches as Paul's writing them. All of them pointing to who Jesus is. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word about Jesus, about Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the world and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? So, over and over again, I have heard this passage, this passage about the gospel and this passage about in order to believe the gospel, people must be sent. And I have always heard this in the context of an evangelistic message, very similar to the one that I have been preaching up until this point. That the only way that people can hear and believe in who Jesus is, is if people are sent to proclaim it to them. But in the context of Romans, Paul is still dealing with this issue of the Israelites. The promises of who God is. He's still dealing with that. We have these Israelites and we have these Gentiles. And the Gentiles seem to have been brought into the promise. While the Jews, the Israelites, seem to have been rejected. And if they have been rejected, is it because they didn't believe? And if it's because they didn't believe, is it because they didn't hear the good news? 
Is it somehow the case that God's people, the Israelites, while being special and having received all of these things up until the New Testament, up until the time of Jesus, have had all kinds of advantages with having a heritage and a covenant and the law, is there somehow that they might not have received the good news, the message proclaimed to them, and that's why they don't believe at this point? And he goes on and he says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? Because first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make make you angry. He's referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Well, we had talked uh, last week about Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30, where Moses is speaking to the people and telling them about the covenants of God and what the, they can expect. And in verse, in verse 21 of Deuteronomy 32, it says, They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I mean, it's not really funny, but it's a little bit funny if you think about it. They, they rejected God and were looking at idols and saying, we, you are not real gods, but we are going to worship you and ignore the real God. And God goes, what? You're going to reject me, the one true God, so that you can turn to these things that are not gods? Okay. You have them. I'm going to claim these as my people. I am going to make you jealous and angry. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. I'm going to turn to the Gentiles and I'm going to start bringing them in. So that you might see... What you have traded for. And it's going to make you jealous and it's going to make you angry. So first, Moses says that in Deuteronomy chapter 32, this was the proclamation to the nation of Israel. Look, if you reject God, this is what's going to happen. Then later in their history, having rejected God, Isaiah piles on. And so verse 20 of uh, Romans chapter 10 says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And here he's quoting from Isaiah 65. And in Isaiah 65 it says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that, did not call, that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walked in a way that is not good, following their own devices. So first, he says that uh, he uses this from Isaiah 65 to say, I have been found by those who didn't seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. That's the very thing God threatened to do back in Deuteronomy with, through Moses. He said, if you reject me, then I am going to reject you and I am going to start calling Gentiles instead of Jews. And in Isaiah, that very thing is happening. I have been found by those who didn't seek for me and I've said to them, 
here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. But of Israel, Paul says, in verse 21 of Romans chapter 10, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long he's held out his hands. Isaiah 65 again. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people, those Israelites, who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. And if you jump to verse 8, thus says the Lord, As the new wine is found in a cluster and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servants' sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down. For my people have sought me. But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you to the sword, and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Those are strong, strong warnings. I'm going to reach out and call a people that weren't my people so that you might be jealous, so that you might um, turn. And I've held out my hands to you, a rebellious people. Though you've done all of these things, going, please, come back, come back. And for those who don't listen, for those who do not respond when He calls... I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer and when I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. Israel is, is, has been rejected because they have rejected God. And yet... It is not the kind of rejection that says, I'm done with you, stay away. It is the kind of rejection that says, okay, I'm going to bring these in and I'm still going to hold out my hand to you. I am still inviting you in. Sometimes when we go through some of the passages that we have recently been through and we're talking about the wrath of God and the election of God and how God chooses people that they might believe in Him, then you start to think of God as a bouncer who stands in the way and only lets a select few in. You may come in. You may come in. Or a security guard with his hand like this. I haven't chosen you. Stay out. You, you can come. You, you can come. And we get in our heads that this is what God is like. 
that somehow because we talk about election and God choosing those who will come in, we think of him in these terms that he's keeping everyone else out. And the reality is he's standing with open arms saying, please, please come. He's sending out His messengers so that they may proclaim the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord and the only salvation that you can receive is through Jesus. Please, please come. Please come. Because if you don't come to the salvation that is found in Jesus, then you deal with the wrath of God. Your sin will ultimately result in your destruction. And so please, please come. Please come. And what we find is that no one is coming. And so we're desperately out there proclaiming and telling and talking and asking and begging. Please come. Please come. Please come. Because the only salvation that you can find from the wrath of God is Jesus. Please come. God is not standing like a bouncer trying to keep everyone out except the select few that He has chosen. God is standing like a father welcoming people in, saying, please come to my feast. Please come to my celebration. And when no one comes, He sends His Son out to go and say, you will come and you will come and you will come. You will come and join me in my celebration. You will come and share in the joy of this feast. Because everyone else has rejected me and turned away and turned to those things that are not God's. They have traded me in and my joy and glory they have despised. And even when I have sent my son to proclaim my message, even when I have sent my prophets and my disciples to proclaim my message, yet they have been rejected. And all of this so that we might know how glorious is that message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for the sins of sinners. And when we confess Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved and share in His glory. And if you are here this morning and you've never heard this before, this is the first time, I would love to talk with you more about this. And if you have heard this and you're going, I don't know, I'm hand up still against Jesus. I'd still, I'm still not sure about this thing. I would beg you to reconsider Because this is the only good news that there is. And some of you have believed this for a long time. And as I'm talking about this, you are thinking of somebody in your mind who you know is still standing with a posture like this toward God, while God is standing like this in a posture toward them. And they need the message. They need you to walk alongside them. They need you to proclaim it. Proclaim it as good. It is good news. 
proclaim it in the power of the Holy Spirit. You are being sent. In Matthew chapter 28, it says at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You are being sent. Some of you will have opportunities, unique opportunities even this week to proclaim the good news. Do it with boldness. Do it with gentleness and compassion. Recognizing that the end for those who have rejected Christ is destruction. But to those who have been brought in as they believe, there is great glory in His salvation. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to You this morning and we ask first and foremost that You would um, help us to appreciate and value this as a precious, glorious gospel for us. That this is good news to us. Lord, may we celebrate that here in this place together this morning. And then, Father, we come to you and we ask on behalf of those who don't yet believe. Lord, there are people here whose family members don't believe. There are some whose friends don't believe. And so, Lord, we ask, would you fill our mouths with the right things to say? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, might we proclaim your word, your message to those who need it in such a way that it is beautiful. Lord, would you be at work through the Holy Spirit? Would you be at work in the hearts and the minds of the people that we speak to even this week? That they might believe and rejoice. Because we know that apart from you and the work of the Holy Spirit in us and in them, there is no hope. Already they have rejected you. And so, Lord, help us to pray. Help us to speak well. And we trust you that you will save those who are perishing. And we ask that you would help us according to the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to whom belongs all power and authority in heaven and on earth. We praise you for this in his name. Amen.